Welcome to Transit Matters, episode 13, as we clear through our backlog of uh, podcast episodes. Uh, this was recorded uh, about a month ago, uh, sometime in early May 2015, as we talk about the city's Go Boston 2030 visioning plan or uh, process of identifying, you know, what does it mean to think big and be visionary and bold and transformative about transportation? What does it mean to us? And so we talk a lot about, you know, what is it? Uh, what, what, yeah, what, is, what does that mean? And what is our system going to look like in 15 years? Uh, 15 years ago, as uh, one of the people pointed out, uh, there were no smartphones. Uh, Facebook has only been around for 10 years. So uh, things may be radically different than, uh, than you know them. But uh, not knowing that, uh, what does that leave us? And what are our priorities? Uh, what are the needs that we have? And uh, what, what can we do to address that? And what... Um, you know, moving beyond the project level, you know, we often think about this in the form of, you know, a little little project here, a little extension there, or a little, you know, uh, addition of something in this one spot. But, uh, you know, how does the system work as a network? Uh, how will we all get around in 15 years? Will there be some radical new technology or, um, you know, transit works as it is? Maybe we uh, need to, to own it and uh, work with that as well. We also talk quite a bit about uh, civic space and how uh, our, our what what that means and how we can better use our spaces in in ways that promote uh, you know sort of sort of democratizing spaces right or you know having more of the commons and uh, we even get into arguments about things like the big dig so uh, that's always fun and uh, yeah we talk about uh, transportation camp a little bit uh, that happened in April at MIT. And uh, Mark gives us an update on a uh, political conference, the uh, transportation summit that happened uh, in out in Worcester. So uh, that's that, that's at the beginning, and uh, so it should be a good show. I should hopefully get a lot out of this, and uh, should be of interest. Um, hope you'll enjoy. You can write into us. Uh, feedback at Transit Matters is the email. You can check out the website transitmatters.info, and we still uh, do post some stuff there. So do go there, transitmatters.info, and don't go to this event that we talk about in the show. Um, you should still get involved, goboston2030.org. Um, but don't go to the event, because it happened in the past, uh, much like my voice. All right, I'm out. Actually, not really. Uh, we're going back to the past. Uh, it's still me. I am Jeremy Mendelson. I'm a transit planner with the experience in service design. Um, and uh, I do bike stuff as well, and uh, during the day I uh, drive a delivery truck. Uh, I'm Josh Fairchild, I'm a, a lawyer, I work in commercial real estate, and I love to think and talk about transit. And uh, I am Mark Ibunya, the curator of our blog and social media feeds. By day I'm an IT systems administrator, and by night I'm the Leslie Nope of transit geeking out over meeting celebrities in transport and getting knee-deep in advocacy. I have a burning question. Yeah. Uh, who is Leslie Nope? So Leslie Nope is uh, this fictional character from a, t- a small town named Pawnee in Indiana, and uh, she's she's dreamed her whole Parks life from Pre- Parks and Rec. And she's dreamed her whole life of being the president, and so she all she's a policy wonk, and she gets excited about meeting Joe Biden and riding on Amtrak with him and all that sort of fun stuff. So. Um, I'm not sure if I... She's, the Amy, she's Amy Poehler. She's Amy, Amy yeah, Poehler. she's played by Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler and, uh, she's, I, I, I'll have to admit, after one of her episodes, I had to look it up, because I've seen <laughs> Parks and Rec, but I didn't know that that's what her, name, her last name was, so... Yeah. 
Um, well, I would like to ride a train with Joe Biden too. So that <laughs> I just want one of his great massages. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't believe that's still a thing. So, um, so yeah, today we're going to talk a little bit more about what our vision is, in, as a prelude to the uh, uh, to the Go Boston twenty thirty uh, visioning event that's happening this weekend, starting off on Friday with. Uh, I believe it's at 12 o'clock, kicking off with a speech or keynote by uh, Mayor Walsh uh, over at the, what is it, the... China Inter- Trade Center at 2 Boylston? Is that- I don't yes, think it's... I've- it's right across the street. It's at um, the corner of Boylston and Washington, uh, across the street from Chinatown Station, um, on the um, Park Street, or the Boston Common side. Is it Really? <laughs> and it will southwest, be, southwest corner. It's kicking off, I think, at, at 12.30 on Friday, and it'll be going until um, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So feel free to come and go uh, Friday, Friday evening, and, and, and most of the day Saturday you can come and participate. We're not sure exactly what the format's going to be, but it sounds like they're going to be engaging people and, I guess let's call them, you know, visioning charrettes or something like that, um, to just talk and think more about the, the system. So we'll be, we'll be excited to report this back to you later. Uh, but one of the things that we did uh, before we get more into transit visioning uh, here, um, Mark was able to attend and uh, and live tweet and live stream um, some of the conference in, in Worcester um, last Friday. So, did Mark, do you have a report for us? Yeah, so this was... Uh this was Transportation for Massachusetts' first ever, and hopefully the first in, a, in an annual event where they brought together a bunch of leaders from across Massachusetts, across their coalition, um, different advocacy groups, uh, um, uh, chambers of commerce, uh, leaders, mayors, all those sorts of people. Uh, and um, so the secretary spoke, Secretary Pollock uh, delivered a Unfortunately, we didn't get it on video, but this this uh, amazing keynote speech that that uh, ended in in um, laughter and or a massive applause. Uh, but basically, she's uh, she's she has actually one of the one of the key things that I remember from the um, from the event was that she she took she has taken off of her her head um, her header or her. Her signatures, um, what is it? Leading the nation in transportation excellence, which is the the uh, stupid uh, bullshit phrase that we the, used to have to put yes, on our emails. Yes, yes, from from MassDoc, <laughs> and she has said, "I'm taking that off until we've earned it." And so that that um, that uh, was received with uh, with great great applause. So, but otherwise, it was it was a really great event to just kind of get people into the mode of thinking. Um, how do we how do we push forward with with transportation? Um, ne- not necessarily what's cutting edge and what's visionary, but to just kind of discuss the uh, the the challenges that we're going to face in the next couple of years, and then how we're going to deal with that. Um, they we broke out into a couple of workshop groups um, talking about um, <laughs> funding issues. That that was the one that I ended up in. Um, several others, but otherwise it was a really great event to just kind of network, get together with people, um, and, uh, and just see what, what's going on across the state and, and what people are advocating for. Anything, uh, coming out of it? Any, like, you know, next steps or sort of... <laughs> so, so yeah, actually, uh, Rick Domino, who will be, um, he was the president and CEO of A Better City, who will actually be at the visioning process, I believe... 
uh, either for a keynote or just there in general. Um, no, I'm sorry, that was um, Mark uh, Mark Drazian. Oh, from uh, MAPC. from from MAPC, the planning council. Yes, the, he's the yeah. the the director, executive director of uh, the planning council, and um, if, if basically that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that we have a hard road ahead, and that we're going to have to make a lot of very difficult policy decisions. It was it wasn't really too much anything different that we've heard about, um, but just just get a, to get to get a lot of people together in the same room with with a similar like minded like minded people with with similar end goals or similar uh, similar visions to to network, but also see what other people are talking about and, and what's going on. Uh, Robin Chase, who was one of the co-founders of Zipcar and led the uh, led the conference. Um, she also had uh, a few keywords, which we did get recorded, um, and that's up on our YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash transitmatters. So uh, you can find out more, watch a little bit more about that. The uh, the feed, unfortunately, cut out, and we, we didn't get such good recording after the break that we took at noon. Um, so... Uh, Unfortunately, we didn't get a lot of it, but you'll 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 be able to see in part two uh, the rest of what I was able to record locally to the hard drive and, and upload um, today, actually. So, and you can donate to Transit Matters so we can afford good uh, recording equipment. Yes. Um, <laughs> let's go back to Boston because uh, you know we don't care about those people west. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that's how we got into this problem in the first place. Right. <laughs> so they'll have you believe. Um, so what? Uh, um, maybe Josh wants to talk more about what this process right, so, is. Right. So, so go Boston twenty thirty. I don't think any of us totally have our, our minds wrapped around uh, exactly what the outcome is that that this movement is trying to create. Obviously, they're trying to create a visionary, you know, transportation future for the city. Um, we're not sure, um, you know, what, what what it will become. So far, it's been mostly a PR campaign where they've requested people to submit their questions or submit their pictures of what Great Transit looks right. like, things like that. And this next step is the uh, the visioning uh, exercise this weekend. And so we thought we would have that be the topic of the show. So uh, the first thing we wanted to talk about was just, uh, you know, the three of us sitting here, what, to us, what is what is visionary transit? What does it look like? What it, What is it? How is it? How do we discuss visionary transit? I think that's something that's important to discuss because, um, a lot, of, a lot of times, and this is, you know, myself coming from, you know, a, a lay member of the public, you know, not being used to transit, I, and, and then you begin writing, and basically what you know about transit is kind of your seat on the bus, or your bus stop, or, you know, wh- whatever you take to work, or, or what have you, um, a lot of people aren't being really visionary, so I think when they're asked to be visionary, um, what, what does that even mean? Like, what do they have, um, what, what should they be thinking about, basically, so... Let's talk about that. <laughs> Jeremy, you want to do Self-driving buses. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is a nice opportunity to, to think a little bigger, as, as Josh was talking about. And, um, I really see this whole process as sort of an opportunity for um, to educate ourselves and sort of move the discourse along so that we're not, you know, we're not fighting every individual project and, you know, trying to advocate, oh, this makes sense, oh, well, you know, I'm going to lose a few parking spots. You know, so we're not trying to fight all these little battles that we, so that we hopefully come out of this with a coherent vision that informs policy. 
so that we have policies and we institutionalize these this, whatever comes out of this so that it just happens so that you know we as a city we pay people to do these things and you know things like land use around transit stations or transit priority or whatever the hell get considered and um and done appropriately you know we don't have all these missed opportunities and you know we don't have to spend all our time and energy advocating every single time um and i think the the bottom line for me really is that we we saw this just today we were just talking about uh when i you know when we came over here that um the apparently downtown boston was like complete gridlock today um and yesterday as well and um you shut down you shut down one lane on the pike and it becomes gridlock yeah i mean that's what they say but of course like the other aspect obviously is like you know these drivers follow the rules of the road you know lights red and they still go block the intersection you know and all these things that that happen and uh you know i was riding my bike through it and it's just like mentally exhausting because you're like constantly having to move you know and like you know bang on a car once or twice like hey pay attention you know put the phone down and stop driving in my lane please um and you know so uh thinking about these um the the issue that there are too many cars and we really need to reduce car use if you're going to be able to get around the city in a safe and convenient and comfortable manner. And the way you do that to me is by making transit useful. Now, we have a lot of issues when it comes to transit. You know, the fact that, that you know, buses are extremely slow. We have, um, we really have no tran- no high-capacity transit coming from the west. Uh, the Green Line's a capacity, right? So, you know, you have all these people that are driving into the city uh, who don't need to be. Uh, and then, or, or who, I shouldn't say, who... Um, are doing it because that's the best option that they have. Um, you know, then we can pick up people and say, you know, why would you want to sit in traffic or whatever? But the bottom line is that, you know, if you sit and bump and bump in traffic and it takes you 30 minutes to get to, you know, to the same place you're going every day, then you do the same trip on transit and it takes an hour and a half and you don't know if you're going to get on and you might have to wait. It's cold. And, you know, we need to start thinking about these things, you know, deeper questions about, um, and, I, and I think that everybody agrees that public transit is important and, to what extent does that inform where we go from here? You know, I think one of the things that you mentioned there, Jeremy, um, was you said, and I thought was probably one of the best things you said just now, was about how people shouldn't have to think about transit so much. And I think what you're saying is is you're speaking to the freedom that, that transportation can bring you. A, a, a visionary transit system would be one that people don't have to think about because they have the freedom to move about the city without putting a lot of thought into it because the system is useful and it's intuitive and it's all these things that we're going to mm. be talking about. Mm. But they know how to get from point A to point B with, you know, right now a lot of times, again, Boston especially, if if point A is is where I live next to a transit line and point B is downtown, okay, good, I don't have to think too much about it. But if point B is like somewhere else, then there's a lot of thought that might have to go into it. So we don't have that freedom. And one of the things I think about from a real estate perspective and from a placemaking perspective and, and from the current movement that we have towards places, people are becoming more and more interested in urban places. So you have a place like Boston or, or New York or other places like that where everybody wants to live there. Well, that increases the price, not of just real estate, but of everything. It increases the cost of transportation, like owning a car then, because it becomes expensive in money, it becomes expensive in time. Um, so there's a lot of ways that not having a good transit system, um, hurts you, not just from a freedom perspective, but from like, you have to spend money and time and 
doing other things besides just getting where you want to be. You know, you're hunting for parking spots or whatever you're doing. So if we can have freedom from our transit system, and I think the visionary aspect of that is a lot of people are thinking, well, I just want this line to come out closer to me. But that's not visionary. What's visionary is the whole system working to where we don't have to think about it so much. Right. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in, the, um, in a more traditionally Boston perspective of, of, of that, where my vision is to be at that point where people are complaining about a train not coming every two minutes, or a train not coming every five, or a bus or a train not coming every five minutes. Because I, I, I experienced that through the lens of, uh, of one of my friends who's actually, uh, one of my good friends who's actually from, from London, where the two trains run through most stations uh, in the uh, in the city center almost every two minutes, and um, when when a red when he has to wait more than five minutes for a red line train, I get an immediate text message from him asking why the trains are delayed, and I, I, <laughs> every time I have to give him I have to give him this high policy answer to make him shut up, but. Um, I wish that weren't so that that's I, I don't know if if that's if that's not visionary enough. My my problem with the idea of of visionary transit or, or coming in from the, from that perspective that it needs to be so inspiring that it feel that it elicits this kind of tingly feeling in your whatever parts of your body you think about when you think of Elon Musk and and uh, Hyperloop. I mean that's that's that. That is that is what I imagine that people are looking at when they what, what they're thinking at what they're getting at when they say they want visionary transit. Um, but what I what I really care about is yeah regional mobility. How if I live in if I live in JP like I do now, um, how when when can I get to that point where my friends up in Porter Square don't hang out with me or don't invite me to things anymore because I'm so far away from them and it's not like. Oh yeah, you know, let's let's call Mark up and hang out, or let's you know send him a text or something and and, uh, and get something together as a last minute thing. Because you know, what how do you when you think about when you think about when you just kind of make when you make last minute plans with somebody, like what's what is the expected time frame that you're that you want to get to somewhere? And and uh, I can drive from JP to Porter Square in a zip car, um, say at this hour, which is like around. Uh, 940 uh, I can get there in about 15 minutes or so 10 minutes if if I if I hit the timing of the lights right I mean what is that saying that our, our <laughs> I mean the, the timing of the lights itself is an indication that we're we're giving somebody priority for the system uh, for our transportation system but it's not necessarily the buses it's not necessarily the 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 fixed routes or or the the transit system that we have put a lot of investment into to make it work the way that it should. Um, that's my two cents. And I guess it's a, it's a muddy vision and it's not very inspiring, but it's, um, I, I, I really think that, um, that our vision for the next five years and our, the next 10 years is going to have to be, it's not going to be a very inspiring thing because we're not really starting from a lot. We're, we, we are starting from this point where we have disinvested in the system for decades and you can't just, you can't fix that with a vision overnight. That's 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 not that's just, this is something we've baked into our policies, our politics, our funding system, and and you know you can blame the T for what it is today, but uh, no amount of vision is going to fix the, the the problems that we're dealing with today. It's interesting that you you know you talk about you know what people 
how people perceive their their situations and their experience and yeah. it gets at something that that I think is is often uh, misunderstood and, and often completely ignored is um, it, something we would call experiential quality right this mm-hmm. is this is the passenger you know when you look at service quality a lot of times you use metrics of you know frequency and you know is is uh, is it correct too crowded whatever um, but from there's there's a difference between how the T looks at, at those things yeah. uh, from an operations standpoint and a difference in, you know, what is the experience of a passenger? So, um, you know, some of the things people are asking are, you know, things like, you know, when are we going to have clear sidewalks, usable year-round sidewalks, or, you know, when, you know, issues with um, with the, you know, you get on a, for example, you get on a bus and your bus might have, let's say the bus has, the bus is about 37, 39 seats, right? So let's say, you know, it's, the seats, seats fill up, right? That's crowded to a passenger, mm-hmm. right? You get on, you got to look around, you get a seat, maybe like you got to get some idiots to move their bag, you know, it's like, that's crowded, right? Then you get a few more people and, you know, now you have 50 people on the bus. Now you get people standing in the aisle. Now you, this is like, oh, now you have to ask somebody to move and you get, you know, get to the back door and you come on and then, you know, these are the things that matter to passengers. He looks at this and they go, they go, okay, well, we got a budget crisis. We can, we can cram 70 people on the bus if we need to. You know, fifty people in the middle of rush hour—that's fine. Right? It's not fine. You know? Well, I mean, there there <laughs> so, is a there is an industry term for that, and that's, that's called a crush pro- load. That's a yes. profitable bus. Though. Yes. That's what that is. Yes. <laughs> it's a, it's a bus that's being u- utilized, yeah, to its full potential. While well, yeah. to arguably not necessarily to its full potential if if you only have front door boarding and you can only yeah. yeah. If it oh. had its own, if it had a dedicated running way, it'd be a profitable bus. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit also. So we we mentioned um, usefulness and, and freedom. Um, you know, one of the other things that that we mentioned briefly, but we didn't touch on too much, is affordability. And we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, I mentioned the affordability of, you know, not having, right. you know, how it's unaffordable to not have this kind of a system. But there's a lot of things that get baked into a good system that makes the entire um, experience of living in a place more affordable. So, um, for, for example, you know, there's the obvious one of not having to own, you know, a vehicle, mm-hmm. um, or maybe maybe you're going for owning two vehicles or only one vehicle, or not having to own any vehicles, um, or that in between where you have a zip car as well, right? right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but then there's the other part of it is that um, if we if we can leverage the infrastructure, so we hear yeah. about transit oriented development all the time. If we if we position um, extensions or infills of, of lines, if we if we bring services to places, if we encourage through zoning. And, and and where we allow development to happen to leverage that transit infrastructure, then we can build more densely where, yeah. where transit will support it. Um, and then that allows us to also have cheaper rents, you know, or you can you can live in the place that you want to live um, more cheaply, or you can afford to pay more for rent because you don't have to have a car, um, things like that. Uh, you can afford to get to more jobs, so the transit shed, um, how that matches up with where, where jobs are located. Um, right now, Boston doesn't actually do as well as you would think that we do because we have so many jobs around Route 128 that are very difficult to get through, get to by transit. Um, unless you have, you can do a reverse express bus, maybe yeah. something like that. And a lot um, of people that have cars in the city, you know, for that reason. Right. Exactly. And so, and if you if you can if you can get to more jobs from a certain location, um, well, that that also uh, maybe allows you to switch jobs um, more easily, which allows you to earn more, which that feeds into affordability also. So yeah. there's a lot of ways that a visionary transit system will, uh, you know, allow people to, you know, do more with their lives. Right. And that's, uh, that's an, that's a big component of this. And, and, uh, there, 
the de- the real estate and development uh, sector are going to have to do a lot of a lot of re-education of people because uh, for uh, there there is there is this wide perception that that um, that building more development or bringing or or including more transit oriented development inherently drives up uh, the 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 desirability and that desire improving desirability is bad because then it, it jacks up the rents um, and this there's this perception that that real estate ha- or, or housing stock is not is not a um, um, it's not subject to to the laws of supply and demand yeah i mean i think um, what you're getting at there is you're you're just trying to say not gentrification you're trying right. not to say that word <laughs> the g word and the, um well cuz yeah, that's that's, just, that's the reason why put people will push back against transit oriented right. development right yeah and because they, they they do they get concerned that as soon as this place becomes becomes uh, the desirable as yeah. soon as it becomes desirable rents go up you know that's true um, but to the extent that the place is more accessible we also can build a lot more um, units there, right? And that is that's one of the stumbling blocks that you know Massachusetts residents have to decide what they want. Do they do they want their single family homes right. uh, in a desirable location, or do they want affordability? Yeah, <laughs> you know. And so it's there's definitely competition um, between between you know keeping things the way they are, right, and and continuing to have a better and a better place live that's also affordable i mean i've come to this recently because i like well i've, I've always had to you know deal with this and you know essentially it it sounds like you know to, to put it a different way it's like you know don't improve my neighborhood because it's not just transportation it's all kinds of things right it's like don't improve my neighborhood you know i want the same crappy roads and the same crappy transit and the same crappy you know, water sewer lines and whatever um don't improve it because if you improve it you know other people so like leave me a crappy dangerous neighborhood and it's I want it dangerous because then otherwise the all of the yuppies will come in and then you know they're going to price me out because blah, right blah, blah, anybody blah. with money is just not going to live here because yeah. it's dangerous right yeah. so it's but I've where I've sort of come in in the past couple of years is that you know we just need more housing like it's pretty yeah. it's as simple as that um you know you can go like work on the edges try to get low income housing and you know and we should we should look at requiring a certain percentage of low income housing and, and we do and all that but. Um, I don't, I don't know enough about it, so maybe yeah. I do, yeah. Just, um, yeah. Uh, but, and some, some cities do, you know, better than others, but, um, you know, in the end, yeah, we need more housing, and, and what is it that we're trying to accomplish, right? So, um, when we build, we're building all these luxury apartment complexes, right? Um, it's often not accompanied by housing for, for lower-income people, and, when we get to the point that we have enough housing units, then we can do things like having, you know, annual inspections so that, you know, people aren't living in un- unsafe apartments and stuff, you know, if you're your landlords and all this stuff. Right? Essentially just drive the cost down. Um, that's something that's really, like, we don't really talk about in the yeah. trans- transit field because it's sort of, it's considered, like, a different topic. And this is, like, in in social justice, there's this concept of intersectionality where it's like all these things matter, right? It's like racism and sexism and environmental justice. Yeah. They're all sort of the same, like, under the same umbrella, right? And they're all related uh, forms of oppression, um, you know, and transportation being one, you know, why is there good transit in um, some places, <laughs> Back Bay and Cambridge and not, you know, Roxbury. But, or Dorchester, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which there is, well... Hmm, we'll get to that. So. Well, I don't know if you want to call it fair amount language. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're going to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, anyway, 
all that is to say that yeah, we really need to to look at think about the housing component as well, and and can we get there? And all the people that are resisting it is that it's sort of like a is this a not in my backyard thing? How do we approach this to the to the? How do we get people to accept maybe a vision for housing, which is that you know we're trying to get enough units so that we can lower the the prices and make it make it just more affordable. Um, how do we get people to buy into that? Because it's going to mean higher density. It's going to mean, you know, we have a city where we really don't build above three levels and above the triple-decker. And if we're going to take this seriously, then, you know, our neighborhoods are going to have to welcome a lot of larger buildings. Right. And uh, so so when on, on that subject of affordability, so uh, what was this, back in 1996 or something like that, Massachusetts committed to the, uh, the reconstruction of the North Station complex to include the Orange Line, uh, section and uh, and and uh, undergrounding of the Green Line um, to Leechmere. It was 2004. Was it 2000? Only in 2004. That was when the Green Line was submerged. It was only 2004. Sorry, <laughs> I, I must be mixing. I must be mixing the uh, the the flooding of Kenmore Station in 1996 with the. Uh, you are correct. Uh, the sub the submersion. A different kind of submersion. a different kind of submersion <laughs> yeah. of the Green Line. Good so, <laughs> so well speaking to that. So uh, now. Um, more probably more related to to the the land that we've 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 gotten back from the big dig and and from that from that reinvestment in our transit infrastructure. Um, there is a developer down near North Station that is actually bringing in. They've committed to uh, their entire building. I think it's two hundred thirty units or more um, of being working class housing, which I believe was they defined. Like, they like to call it workforce housing. Workforce housing. That's right. Workforce housing, um, which you must earn somewhere between 100, uh, 116 to, or 115 to 160% of the median income there, which uh, is something like 70,000 K. So I, my, oh, my, well, that sounds, okay. Well, well it's well, North Station. I mean, that's, yeah, right. Okay. But so like my boyfriend and I, with our combined incomes, we could live there in, in workforce. We would qualify for workforce housing. In like a studio apartment? Uh, in a studio or one bedroom <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But then, but the then there's, live like that. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's a combination of workforce housing as well as low income housing. So, um, so, you you do get some developers, and and we're hoping that this is this is like the first of its kind, and that it leads to more developers doing this. And the reason why they don't, for the most part, is because it's not affordable to them. Um, and and I don't know about that. I think it's just I thought they were just motivated more by profit. Like well, it's yeah, more profitable so, for luxury, right? And and again, that it goes back to it goes back to re- return on investment, and that's not necessarily something that we can ch- we can't we can't change the ethics of, of a developer, but we can give them incentives to, to build in our neighborhoods. Uh, and so, like, what's going on at the Mass and Main development over, again, another transit-oriented development um, that, and, and we can talk a little bit more about policy with, uh, with value capture, is this development is bringing in, I believe it's 70 affordable u- units of housing um, but the residents don't want it because it'll be so big. But if the development doesn't get built, those seventy units of housing don't get built for uh, uh, for the affordability sector. But at the same time, um, like I think it was at a, a neighborhood association meeting, and um, somebody, people from a local, a very large uh, nonprofit uh, affordability developer or um, advocacy group or something like that, they came in and they basically said, look, look, 
we our job is to get affordable housing built and our experience in the industry right now is that there just simply is not enough money at at the at the housing cost at the construction costs and labor costs as it is today here in Massachusetts and in Boston you are not going to get just towers of affordable housing it's not going to happen no one's going to pay for that and the money just doesn't exist in the city coffers for that to exist well one of the one of the reasons one of the i mean i guess this this is related to transit we hope we promise <laughs> but, but, but w- w- one of the reasons for that is uh, the land cost is so expensive yeah the construction um, and labor cost is so expensive that really the best way to experience that return on investment is to do is to do luxury, and and they know that that's gonna that that it's gonna sell so far in the market. Now, as as the luxury market becomes more saturated to the extent that it's gonna get saturated, well then people are willing to look at lower returns that they'll get from work worth housing. So with the land factor coming into to play, and with the construction costs coming into play. One of the reasons this, it's related, Beal, that's building... Um, yes, that's right. It, I believe it's 239 apartments, and it's actually going to be from... Um, I had the numbers here a second ago. Um, all the way from 30% of the area median income up to 165% of the area median income. Yes, and that's in two different brackets. Uh, right, yeah, because one is affordable units and yeah. the other is workforce units. Yes. Um and, and, of course, it's the area median income. So the area median income in North Station area is downtown. 70. It's a little different than the area median <laughs> income, you know, yeah. um, in other places in the city. But, you know, that, that being said, one of the reasons that project works is because Related Beal owns uh, a tiny sliver of land. Mm-hmm. And yep. this is, this is going to go over um, the – it's it's sort of like the, the end of the Rose Candy Greenway. It's sort of the, the Greenway ends, and there's this area where there's some ramps and things coming up. And there's this kind of grassy area. It's not really part of the Greenway, but um, you might think it is. And so Mass Pike, or Mass Dot, actually owns most of the property there. That's over, um, you know, the buried uh, Big Dig freeway. And so Related Beal actually owns a strip on the side of it. Yeah. And so what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we own this strip, and Mass Dot is going to uh, basically give us a ground lease. It's almost going to be a trade, but a ground lease. Yes. Um, for the part that's over um, the highway. And then now we can afford to build, you know, the land cost is much cheaper. So now we can afford to make these affordable units where we wouldn't have had that otherwise. And that's one of the reasons the city is talking so much about what can the city do? What can MassDOT do? The MBTA, what can we do to take lots that are currently city-owned or agency-owned and make those available for construction? Because that gets rid of a lot of that land cost that gets buried, you know, or yeah. that, that makes it more expensive. And especially so. leasing because then when what you, what you lose is the opportunity for for re- reinvestment in the infrastructure if you just outright sell it and off. And this is where we get back to yeah. transit, is that uh, if if MassDOT and the MBTA, if they do ground leases, um, they're, you know, as opposed to doing just a flat-out sale, you know, of an acre here, an acre there, if they do a ground lease, um, like let's say where the stations are, like let's say Forest Hills right now, there's actually going to be a lot of development, hundreds and hundreds of units are going up around Forest Hills. But the Forest Hills station itself... It's it sort of like blight in what's going to be, yeah. you know, this developed area. If the station itself, if they put out RFPs and said, you know, we're going to give you, you know, a long-term lease in this area, and you you redevelop it, and the only rule is that there has to be a station in it, you know, and that's and and then the MBTA can can not only get the ground lease over years, but that they can structure different ways. They can say, well, we want this much up front, we want a big payment up front and smaller payments, or we want bigger payments over the life of it. And that could pay for the infrastructure 
of that part of the orange line. A, re- a new station e- that doesn't exactly. look like it's from nineteen. Well, you get the new station, <laughs> and then maybe the recurring payments could yeah. could pay for um, the upgrades that are required over time for that station, or maintenance, cleaning. or state of good repair, things like that we yeah. want to talk about. Exactly, so... Shoveling snow because you didn't cover the stations when you built them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Shoveling the tracks because yeah. they're still exposed. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that, again, that goes back to... That goes back to um, reinvesting in this... It's, it's not... See, that's the thing is it's not visionary, but these are the things that should be happening that we need to happen, and, and, and my vision is to, like, for example, um, for the MBTA to be able to afford to, to cover the... Uh, the southwest corridor, for instance, and um, put in some development and more parkland, functional park space, not just open space. We, we've been having an argument on, on Arch Boston about, well, not argument, a, t- a discussion about about the issue with Boston's open space, and that's that's actually a, an event that we were invited to on Friday, um, Friday afternoon, Friday evening at the visioning process. There's going to be a discussion about. Um, using transportation to create civic spaces. Yes. What would what it would what would it mean to use transportation to build civic space? So, do you guys want to talk a little bit more about that, or did you have a Jeremy? Did you have something else to jump off on? Um, I don't I don't know that I have big thoughts on civic space, but um, you know, it's something that we don't think a lot about. But it really the I mean, we talk about transit and land use. It's you know, it's not just the 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 what we would consider like functional use, you know, like yeah. housing or retail or whatever. But it's it, a lot of it has to do, and this, this goes back to what I was saying about ex- experiential quality. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the station environment that, that really impacts how people relate to and, and work with the services that are available. Yeah. So, um, you know, is it comfortable to approach? Is it you know, if I have to wait for a bus for twenty minutes, is there a comfortable place to sit and read a book? Well, then the transfer is not so much a big deal. Is the transfer convenient? Right. <laughs> is, is you know, is all this stuff is it safe to walk around, or all the you know, like you know, sitting there breathing car fumes the whole time? Like all these things are are important, and we often don't. The the, the greenway um, over you know with the big dig is, I think, a perfect example of you know failing to really think about with the open space in, you know, in a holistic way, a lot of time was spent on, you know, working with the parcels that they had. Right. But at the core, I mean, you have a six lane, essentially a six lane surface, you know, you want to call it a quote unquote boulevard, a service road, but, but this so is the, the, yeah. the arterial road. That's the, the other side of the green line. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, and all the cross streets are like three or four lanes wide. The signals are horribly timed. The, you know, it's just like open space is grass. There's really no, nothing, covered i mean there's this sort of you know yeah okay so they put a merry round they put the park pavilion so there's it's not you know it's not all bad but i just think there was a big misopportunity in terms of thinking about what you know how people can you know we want to tie the city back together like what is this how does this all work and how is yeah. it interconnected and, yeah um yeah i mean it's a i i think that um if you're going to look at a glass half full or glass you know half empty i mean i feel like if you're comparing it to what was before <laughs> but I think uh, the glass is definitely half full. Like right. We have a much. We have civic space where we didn't have civic space before. Oh, but uh, no! Have, but you could always meet under the <laughs> under the highway. I mean, that's, that's yeah. If you wanted to buy some drugs, I'm yeah. sure or something like that. <laughs> like you know, we have concerts in the park. There's right. art installations in the you know in the Greenway. Yeah. There's the merry-go-round you mentioned. Um, it's much more pleasant to walk to and from South Station, or right. you know, when it's when it's good weather outside. You know, I like to take my lunch out there on the Greenway and right. and and go for a walk. So it's not what it could be, but. It is amazing compared to the overpass, but I agree, like, you know, if I have the choice between, you know, from where I work, I can walk to South Station or Downtown Crossing, they're pretty much equidistant. Um, I would much rather walk to Downtown Crossing, 
because it's not these huge, you know, four or five lane roads with all kinds of crazy time stoplights that I have to, you know, get around. And so, you know, it's a more interesting, you know, urban area Mm -hmm. if I walk, you know, kind of the maze of streets between my office and downtown crossing, as opposed to walking along Atlantic Avenue, you know, to to South Station. There are also more outdoor rooms um, on the way to downtown crossing, for example. Is is Post Office Square on the way? Right, there's Post Office Square, which I don't like the the street... That go around post office. Yes, there. and the fact that it's the, an underground parking lot. It's, but it's. It, I'm glad they post. That's, well, that's another good example. You know, I mean, post office square itself. That was a, I think, four story parking garage. It used to be. Yep. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's an amazing park. For it was it submerged now. into into a seven story. I just, garage. I just don't like how wide <laughs> the arterial street still yeah. is, and how fast the speed limits yeah. are, and how long the lights take when you're trying to walk through that yeah. area. Um, and I think that I think that also could have been. I, I think that that area could definitely still be improved significantly. Uh, again, my experiences from New York City, where you have these really great public spaces, but they've been there for hundreds of years. For example, uh, well, not hundreds, but a good amount of time. So, for example, uh, um, uh, you've got uh, Bryant Park, where you've got these. It, it's you've still got the 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 open space there, but it's it's flanked by. Um, these these really nice sitting areas under under tree covered canopies where you still feel like you're outside but you're not sitting directly in the sun which is what it feels like when you put furniture out on the greenway I, like I work I work at two fifty two twenty five I mean yeah, two fifty five State Street where um, there is this small area where you can uh, right next to the water fountain um, where you can sit but there's no tree cover. And so, like, if you really just want to sit there and bake during lunch, then yeah, feel free. There's they've got all the furniture that you want, but um, and the, but then there's the problem with with um, with Post Office Square that I see. The trees are all like we like we don't want people to be around or under the trees for some reason here in Boston. They're all co- they're all bordered by planters, and this is going way off. But but like this is this is my experience, and I and I kind of feel that about transit where. Um, as long as it's there, then people will use it as opposed to the, you know, putting some thought and design, thought and into the way that people use things and, and taking examples of existing, uh, successful designs and importing them here to Boston, for example. Um, well, if you look at downtown crossing, I think that's a good example of, of transit creating a civic space. So now where we have the pedestrian mall. Um, around the um, newly renovated, uh, what's the Roach building? Brothers? Uh, where the Roach Brothers is? What's the, the building? Uh, that's the Burnham Building. The Burnham Building, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so right. So that's now an amazing space. Of course, mm-hmm. that used to be um, near near the combat zone, is what they called it. They used to call it, yeah, and it, like, a really seedy place. And they've done a lot to really spruce that area up. But imagine if you look at the pictures from the late 1800s of that area, it was so congested with streetcars and horses and things like that that. You know, you it wasn't a place where you'd want to walk or like enjoy a stroll or something like that. Like the reason that it is what it, it is what it is today and what it's going to become over the next ten years right. is because we already have the subway buried there. Mm-hmm. You know, and we don't we don't have to have car traffic there. We can afford to have that be a pedestrian way. So that's that's a really good example. I do think we need to we need to bring things back into our you know in our visionary discussion. Um, also included in, in visionary, or not in visionary, uh, in, in transit principles, we've talked about usefulness and, and freedom and affordability, yeah. and we've talked about civic space. Um, 
other things that, that go into evaluating, you know, whether transit is going to work, um, and Mark will probably want to talk more about these also, but you know, things like frequency, and uh, we've talked about equity, mm-hmm. um, quality, safety, um, uh, ridership, and uh, do I say frequency? Yes, you yeah. did. So, um, now, one of the things that, that's important in this visioning exercise is, so there's the visioning on the one hand, and then on the other hand, there's what can actually happen. Mm-hmm. And we're in a very specific political climate right now. Hopefully that won't still be the case in 2030. Um, but, but that's going to help decide what we're going to have in 2030. And that climate now is saying that we're not going to be expanding the system anymore um, with the caveat for uh, safety upgrades or power upgrades for capacity upgrades, things like that. Um, so, so there's that constraint that we have. And the other constraint is, let's say that we are going to think about expanding or, or making new capital improvements. One of the things we're going to check the box on is ridership, capacity. Uh, is this going to reduce congestion? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the most impactful you know, investment we can make as far as you know, bang for the buck there? So um, one of the things, now that we've talked about visionary, what are some, are there any specific projects that anybody, that, that you guys have been thinking about? I know I have, but um, well, that you feel like kind of hit a lot of these, these visionary elements yeah. and also... Politically possible elements. I would say, if I could just jump back and say something on impacts. Um, you know, a lot of times we think when when a when a developer says, you know, we're gonna we want to build this project, whatever, they have to go through pretty extensive permit yep. processes. Um, and the city will look at it and say, okay, how many cars are you putting on the street? You know, and usually a lot of a lot, well, very often there's you know they'll make a chain. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, you have to add a left turn lane, or you have to you know pay for the signal upgrade, or whatever it is. Um, but we almost never look at what is the impact on the transit system. Uh, on the one hand, you know, how, how many... So you're putting a lot more people onto transit. Where are people coming from? How is this going to affect the system? And what investments need to be made because of that? Um, I often make the point that the city's population has grown 10% in the past 10 years. And, you know, the transit transit has not... I don't even want to say kept up with it because it hasn't even expanded at all um, in the core of the city. So... Um, so that on, on the one hand, and on, on the other hand, the how does how does transportation play with the with this particular with with the development or, mm-hmm. or a series of developments? Um, and you know, are there things you can do to make it easier to, to, to use or access, or, right? Um, and that sort of stuff. And if we can, going back to, to I think both of you made this point of institutionalizing things. If we can get that sort of thing institutionalized, so that Every time this happens, it just it, they just go through this mechanisms of getting this stuff right, and they just do it, and that's it. And we don't have to have these debates over and over again. And we can this can be out to this is the public process, right? Public can get the public to buy into it, and then that's it. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned before we started recording the the institutional process that that um, the city of Boston is working on. They're I guess they're 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 working on getting. Uh, the on actually implementing their complete streets guidelines, but they're hampered by the the budget that they have and, and what impacts that they can make on the street infrastructure. But um, but that's a good place to start in terms of well, so formula speak formulaically. What do what what do we look for this developer to either bring to the system or whatever? And um, you know, uh, investments back into the system can also come in the form of of do do you want to to build 
Uh, do you want to renovate a station, or do you want to just con- contribute to like a bucket, uh, uh, an infrastructure bank, or a bucket fund for for transit improvements in this area? Kind of like what we already do right now with affordable housing. We in the city of Boston, we require uh, developers of a certain size, I believe, that need to go through the through the um, through the through the large development process and which number through the BRA yeah. through the BRA that they have to pay that they have to either build I believe it's seventeen percent affordable housing on site or build that off site or contribute to a fund. And so I think actually uh sec the Second Avenue Sagas blog um they talk about this a little bit because there's a lot of development going on right now around um a Grand Central station because of the upzoning that they're doing. In Matt I think for Bostonians, it must be difficult for you to ima- for them to imagine upzoning an area right in the heart of New York City. Like, how, yeah, how much taller can you get built? You can get them much taller. That means You're- like having more density. Right? Yes, because yeah. uh, like basically what yeah what they're doing is they're they're upzoning. They're saying we um, we are lifting the re- restrictions around. Um, the best example in Boston of upzoning is the Fenway. Yes, and yes. the fact that you're seeing large tower well. I don't want to say large. 12 to (laughs) 30-story towers going in in a place that was formerly low, slung, one- one and Mm -hmm. two-story buildings and fast-food restaurants and things like that. And the neighborhood, um, after Landmark Center was redeveloped, the neighborhood really bought into the idea that um, up-zoning could really pay off Mm -hmm. there. And and it has in in amazing ways. Well, and so so Second Avenue Sagas is is coming at this from the approach of, well... uh, so this building is renovating or introducing a new station portal for the east side uh, for the east side access project, um, which is a, a project where New York City will be bringing Long Island Railroad access uh, under the East River into Grand Central, where it currently does not go. And so um, the he posited this idea that, well, do we really want to do we really want to hold developers to an additional requirement, or is that is that really just kind of like will they be okay with just accepting that as the cost of the cost of business for developing in in the cities? And you, you mentioned again, Josh, you mentioned um, uh, before we started recording the the development that's going on over at um, at Heinz Convention Center, the station. Um, that development is going to be bringing in a new station. Um, new facilities, a new headhouse for that station, because um, right now the the other exit uh, is that that actually outputs you to the corner of that uh, of, of Boylston Street yeah, Boylston. of Bo- of Boylston Street where you actually can access the Heinz Convention yeah. Center. That's only open a couple times of, of the year. Yeah. One of which is Anime Boston, but um, yeah, they install Fairgate over there, and they and they just don't open it all yeah. the time. Uh, I, I think there are issues with security and, and yeah. the fact that there just isn't a lot of... Well, it requires um, employees to watch it. You have to, yeah. to staff it. Yeah. Well, they're just talking about civic space right there. I mean, you got to, you know, so to access the current entrance, right, from mm-hmm. from all the stuff that's going on on Boylston Street where, like, Copley Square kind of, or the yeah, back bay Copley kind right. of ends at, uh, you know, where the fire station is, right, and or the opposite the French Center. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah, that whole, like, block, block and a half, I mean, that's a pretty awful place to, be, to it's, walk. It's, it's you bleak, can, it's windy, yeah, it's you get loud. There. But that doesn't stop people yeah, from walking there. But you're, you're right. <laughs> no, once do that, we have to? You have to, yeah. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Ten years from now, when, when that whole area is developed, uh, you're not going to be able to see the highway anymore. Yeah. And that's just going to feel like you know another part of our uh, city streets and our urban area. Yeah. 
Well, so specifically with that project, going back to what we were talking about, useful mobility, accessibility, convenience, um, if, if they're... If, if I believe that um, one of the provisions of the development is that they're actually going to re um, renovate and reopen the tunnel that I'm sure most people aren't aware of that goes under Mass Ave um, to, from the to, to the bus to stop. the bus stop yeah. that's on the opposite side on the on the west side of Mass, Mass Ave from the train station. Being able to reopen that and develop, I I've gotten off there many times uh, to to just get onto the onto the system at um, at that stop from taking the one down from Cambridge and then trying to get in downtown or something. And um, the intersection there at Newberry Street where you have um, Mass Ave, Newberry Street, and then Newberry Street opposite that is the off-ramp. Ramp. That's yeah. the on-ramp onto, oh, the, onto the highway. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that light never changed. That it's, light, a really, it's a tough area. Yeah. You have to be, as a pedestrian, you are literally begging to cross the street yeah. unless you want to jaywalk. Yeah, so. and that's, uh, that's actually, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, we could, we could pick and listeners and everybody else, and you can... And find constant examples of this, but I yeah. mean, you come out of the station. Where does this? Where is the station exit? Right in the middle of the block, right? Mm -hmm. So then they don't want you to cross in the street in the middle of the block because you know it's, it's kind of dangerous, right? So they put this like really high median, and the curbs are very high, and they sort of put you know in places like uh, like over in front of Faneuil Hall, they put up a fence. They even put up a fence there, mm -hmm. so you, can, you know. So they do all these things, and it's jump like, between City Hall yeah, and Faneuil Hall. But what's the logical path when you come out of the state? Yeah, right, right. Desire line. What's the logical? Yeah, yeah. The desire line. What's the logical path? You come off, and you're like, oh, I need to get to that thing right across the street. Am I going to go to the corner? You know, and it's like, well, why, how about we design this so that it actually right. works? So yeah, convenience, <laughs> network connectivity. Uh, I mean, this these it really sounds when you think about these small changes, it doesn't sound visionary. But I mean, what we with what we have to work with right now, it, it is. Well, these are so. examples, and it's important to you know maybe, maybe we shouldn't shouldn't uh, you know we're doing ourselves a disservice maybe by, by talking about too many examples. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we. These are these are examples of to try to to show because when people think vision, you know, we often get you know, we, we, say, we say yeah, we say, right, <laughs> we say hyperloop, we say monorail, we say you know all these things that people have experienced. PRT, P yeah, and personal rapid transit. That's like the the, uh, the little the monorail at the airports is like my kind of my I think it's one of my favorites of of the uh, the like high tech unuseful transit, which is like. You know, maybe it has a few good applications, but people ride it. They go to like an airport and they ride it, and they go, "Oh, this thing was great!" And like, I wanted it in my city, and it really doesn't like what they liked about it was that it was frequent, it was fast, yeah, it was room on it. You know, it, it was easy to find, it, it yeah. was like clean and comfortable, and like all those things. Like that doesn't mean you need like a monorail yeah. that's self driving. The, yeah, the, <laughs> the fallacy is that that rapid tr traditional. I hate to say traditional. What, what is a better word? That rapid transit as it exists today, like the, the yeah. rapid transit that has existed for hundreds of years, is somehow inherently unable to de deliver this. And and then we and then we get into the idea of that that bridge is the the visionary way of the future. And I think bridge definitely has it has uh, applications in the periphery of the system where you do have a lot of people coming from disparate parts. Where it it is much more expensive to serve with with these fixed routes, um, and and this is where this is kind of where that vision goes. If we can if we can have an outlet for them to work with in cooperation with the T rather than against it, um, I, you know I think I think we end up with a better outcome for everyone because then we have then we have an integrated system rather than two systems competing against each other. Let's talk a, a, 
more about, so we've talked about, you know, in, as far as the connectivity of the system and, you know, one, one of the things that, the usefulness of the system, yeah. one of the things that's interesting about about Boston being being a compact, you know, place uh, that doesn't have a street grid is that it's difficult to get from what would maybe here considered to be far-flung places to other far-flung places, so... If you want to go from, let's say, like Lynn or Salem, mm-hmm. and you want it, so if you're working downtown to the Blue Line, that's great. But if you're trying to go somewhere in Cambridge, or you're trying to go to, um, you know, maybe the Longwood Medical Area or something like that, mm-hmm. then you have to think a lot. Of, when you're thinking about where to live in in this city, you really have to think carefully about, well, where's my job now? But where might my job be in the future? You know, so getting an apartment. Or, or a house, something like that, where transit goes currently is really important. And so I'm thinking about what are the visionary things that we can do to make those decisions like less important. Like you, if you can access more places more easily mm-hmm. without getting in a car. Um, and I mean, this is something that people are always, you know, jumping on, but like the red-blue connector. Yeah. You're right. It's not visionary, but it allows people so much more usefulness, you know, out of their system. Um, that they can, they and it gives the whole system more capacity at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're getting, you know, multiple bangs for your buck with that one there. Well, you, you want to talk about visionary. Uh, were you going to mention electro- electrification of the commuter rail? I uh, was not. No. But, um, okay. I, I agree with you. I think. <laughs> I, think I think that you're going to say speak in favor of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, because it's, <laughs> it's a vision that keeps coming up over and over and over. I, like, I'm from Long Island, and I'm, I'm from this place where commuter rail, like, I grew up... Um, with uh, the I think the Port Jefferson line running back and forth behind my house in in Flushing Queens, and um, these are trains that go so fast that you go. My parents now live in a in a part of Long Island that's now the same distance from from Manha- downtown Manhattan as Worcester is from downtown Boston, where you know the express train that skips most of the stops only saves you ten minutes um, in a, in a trip. For this, like, this was an investment, this was a visionary investment that Penn Central, when they owned those lines, made to electrify these lines a hundred years ago. And, you know, today that's not a, that's, it's, it's something we don't, we don't see as, as important enough to, to drive the capital. And so you're saying, it sounds like you're saying what's visionary about it is what, what it gains for us yes. is electric trains can start and stop faster. Is that what we're talking yeah, about? So, so the trip times are faster. So trip time is faster. The the complexity, well... Would you say uh, that, yeah. that electrification system would be as far as simply um, like trip times and things like yeah. that? Is that preferable? And, and trip times being faster also gets you more capacity because you can run more right. trains um, and run them closer together, things like that. Is that preferable to DMUs? Well, so that's the thing is is um, if you can get electrification, then you don't have to. So then the then then you get into a very specific problem about DMUs, at least just here in the U.S. with with the the federal regulation that we have and all of these other things, where basically there is only there is effectively only one model on the market that exists where we can run it on our on our tracks, and we're now watching um, we're now watching Toronto use it for their for their uh, airport express train, but. Um, that's that 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 very strictly limits you to what you can do, and so electrification is something that we can do today. If 
uh, with with at least the northeast corridor with the the uh, the the train that goes down to uh, to Providence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, we have the wires, right? Why don't, why don't we have electric? Locomotives? Well, we can we can yeah. all, all, that just requires um, buying electric yeah. electrified trains. We just buy an electric 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 locomotive, yeah. right? That's all I mean, we need yeah. for that. What I always come back to is, you know, what are we what are we trying to solve? Yeah, here? it's like the question that I always ask, right? And so I think this is a, this is an example of you know while this this may make sense and I agree that it generally does, it it's sort of like we're we're thinking of, you know, of, of projects and solutions, and you know, we're so, and then we're taking a step back and like, okay, well, how does this how does this improve things? And and I, I know you've thought about all this stuff, so you're yeah. sort of, you're sort of jumping <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, it, it's like you know, how, what are we what are we trying to accomplish? So right, we're trying to make transit more useful, which is we're trying to make it faster, more yeah. frequent, and um, and there's a a lot of ways to go about those things, and that's. The, the specific things, I think, are sort of the details. Mm-hmm. What, what we really need to, to look towards is um, coming up with the policy framework and institutionalizing it yep. and getting the buy-in. And, uh, you know, all these things are great. Uh, you know, extend the blue line, and, yeah. you know, commuter rail electrification, not commuter rail extension usually. Um, but... Um, yeah, well, I mean, well if we want to, if we, you know, we already talked about, if you want to extend, if you want to uh, expand your ridership on the commuter rail, you just need to you know, intensely and purposely build lots of housing at the commuter rail stops. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think what you're also subtly trying to get to is this concept of, of um, organization before electronics, before concrete, um, and and this, I mean, the the idea that that. Organizationally, we for policy we need to change this concept of well, okay, we're gonna f- uh, our complete street uh, must include, for example, a bus island and a cycle track and and all of these other things to improve the environment for cyclists, improve safety for cyclists, improve the um, the the flow of buses and and uh, you know coordinating flow of transit vehicles with timing and and all these like small things that that many people have said can happen yesterday um or or can happen possibly even next year if if we if we funneled enough of our you know capital into into actually making these projects happen um again the the the, the problem with with that is is that we already have um hamstring budgets and that that we have a lot of people a lot of interests that are competing for uh, for the same pot of money, and they're not necessarily overlapping interests, um, or at least um, overlapping capital needs. So, um, so yeah, I mean, where where does that? What can we do without money tomorrow? Or what can we do? Or how do we get money tomorrow? Yeah. Or how do? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I, I. I mean. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like vision is another comp- uh, vision that a budget has got to be. Like where where these sources where this money comes from has got to be part of this vision process maybe no do you I, think that's visionary no that it's not I mean, <laughs> I, I mean I don't know I'm just asking the question because I mean I think you know we often get get really focused in the technical yeah aspects and you know we think about what you know and what what needs to be done you know what are the problems how can we solve them right um you know and then of course a lot of this discussion that happens is sort of like silly political BS, mm-hmm. you know, funding equity and all this stuff. It's like, it gets into, um, you know, and like, how do we raise the revenue and all that? And yeah, I guess that's sort of important, but at the same time, it's, yeah, you're right. It's not visionary. And what is a vision without 
sustainable, right. um, long-lasting revenue and political buy-in, I guess. Well, so here's something visionary. Um, something that came out of Transportation Camp, and you and I were in that session with uh, uh, with Dominic Trebone from the MBTA and the uh, the contractor from... Um, which I can't, which oh, I can't uh, remember. Oh, Ritesh Warad uh, from IBI Group. Yes, from IBI, um, where, you know, is it is it visionary to say that someday not only will the T uh, have some sort of automation system that tells people how to... Uh, oh, that's... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, hold on, how do I shut that off? <laughs> uh, this is our timer to keep oh, gosh. going over an hour, yeah, but apparently um, it's not working. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's, it's, it's trying to very much tell us that we need to, we need to, um, to cut it soon, but, um, I mean, this, this vision that, that we can, we can see all the, all the transit vehicles in the system and that, and that helps us understand that, that, that mobility problem that, um, or or is or is convenience just simply the idea that you don't even need the transparency of where those vehicles are, but just simply you step out onto the curb and a, and a vehicle shows up? I mean, what? So going back to the the visioning questions, like one of the questions in the in the twenty go uh, go Boston twenty twenty uh, twenty thirty posters is, you know, what if you could never? What if you never had to wait for a bus ever again? Um, right, which is like, I mean, that's sort of well, I mean, <laughs> it's visionary, nice, but, but that's sort of like it's know. like come on, can we ask like. Uh, yeah, they asked how you know what if the roads are in a grid, and it's like, yeah, can we like come on, come on let's have an honest <laughs> conversation here. And it's like, yeah, okay, flying bicycles would be nice, but like, is that really like what we're? It's at? visionary. It's visionary. So, <laughs> I agree, yeah. so but, um, yeah, self-driving cars is not the answer. Yeah, so I, I guess that's my concern about about, <laughs> about this the entire concept of, of approaching this as a visionary as a visioning. Uh, it, it is a visioning process. How do we envision the city? But um, I think visionary is a is a that's a very loaded word because you're you're asking people to just kind of like what makes you what makes your private parts tingle in as far as like <laughs> transportation goes. Like well, what? it's sort of like when they talk about innovation and technology. You know, I love to yeah you know, I, I, I don't read this like these little well no I'm not going to read it but they, they always talk about these you know, you know like you always hear the government talking about I think you one of you has mentioned this before I was like. You know, you always hear the government talk about innovation and technology, and it's like, I don't know, is it really innovation? Like, like real-time, okay, real-time data is not really innovation at this no. point. Like, you know, and so what is, what is that? We well, can't really talk about technology yeah. now because, I mean, 15, one of the things that Alice Brown, who's leading this Go Boston 2030 effort for the city of Boston, said at a recent talk that she did is, you know, what, what, what was, happened 15 years ago? Yeah. Nobody had smartphones. You know, I mean, just look, like, I don't think, was it was there Facebook 15 years ago? Uh, so. No, it, no. It, right. Facebook is now so, coming up on its 10th year. So. Right, so, I mean, Ish, maybe the already. world was like, the technology was, even, like, technology was so totally different 15 years ago. It's like, how are we, how do we possibly know what technology is going to be in the future? So it's hard, it's almost impossible to talk about it. And yeah. To some extent, it's difficult to make a vision based on anything. What we don't know. Yeah. Or what, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, but again, at the same time, I think techno—that's th- that's the flexibility of, of talking about it from a technology or from a visioning process—is that technology often does fill those gaps and and does does offer these 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 opportunities that didn't exist before. But say, for example, like the cell phone, the envision the vision of being able to pull out the communicator and talk to somebody in you know in a, in a ship in orbit um, as a vision, and then you know the technologies, while they didn't necessarily 
move forward specifically to fill that vision, um, you know, that uh, technology often does end up filling these small gaps where, you know, people see a need and, and it becomes this inspirational thing where, oh, well, yeah, it'd be awesome if I could talk to somebody else on the other side of the planet by just picking up a phone and, oh, and then there it is, um, or a wireless device, a wireless communication device. Um, so, I mean, that's, uh, who would have thought that we'd have, um, what is this? We have one, two, three, four, four computers and like four or three small, tiny computers that wouldn't have <laughs> existed. Uh, yeah, we're doing a podcast. We're doing a podcast. There was no yeah. podcasting 15 years ago, I don't believe. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, it, again, it's, it's, it's this, it's, it's an extent, uh, what I see it is as an extension of, of the the radio format, and so it's it, so it's an evolutionary process and an iterative process, and uh, and I think transportation is kind of seeing that too right now with Mike with what we're, I, I don't know we, do we want to call it microtransit uh, or is that now the industry yeah. term? Well, microtransit has been around for I mean that's how transit got started. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. so a question that I have is um, what like are there things? I mean we even talked about you know a lot of visionary stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like are there things in terms of the way that the way that transit operates? Um, that we think might be different or useful. I mean, you know, people bring up things like self-driving cars, and there's the, you know, will, will that mean self-driving buses? There's like, there's the old joke that was going around that that would the, uh, you know, when he does shuttle bus replacements for their uh, for their um, rail rail construction. So that the old joke was that like by the time the Green Line extension ever gets going, we're gonna have it's gonna be a hover bus replacement project. Mm. Um, and so that, I guess it's funny to transit nerds. But um, it's it, so I'm like I'm sort of wondering like is there something that that we think would sort of make transit different and more useful something that we that would not be technically possible today um, in the realm of like something along the lines of like you know what I mean like fr- flying bus being an example of that like think that we can't physically do today right. but that we might possibly be able to do in the future and that would be of interest. No, I think going back to what I was saying before that that. People complaining that the train isn't isn't two minutes away, that that full automation of, of these systems is it, it it will take a lot of capital, but it is something that ex- you know that's well, the problem is it exists today. Yeah. The problem is it exists I mean, today. With it. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's something that we're not that we're missing. That's all. Yeah, it yeah. may not be because that's the thing is that see I I I reject the I reject the premise that that t- that you. That transit inherently needs to be better in this way that we haven't, uh, yeah. or that it has to be fundamentally different from what we've done like for hundreds of years. And and you know, while 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 the pace of technology, while these com- the computers that we have sitting, it for example, the the Surface and the MacBook Air that I have sitting in front of me, these wouldn't these did not exist in college, in high school, or even college for me. Uh, which was only five years ago, and these are these are devices that I envisioned and that I wanted um, back then. But like this is this is also a fundamentally different um, technology. Is also in its computers themselves are in their nascency, whereas transit is something that um, has existed for a very long time, and we've had decades and decades to improve them. And uh, I, again, I reject this concept that. Because something is old, it needs to. We need to supplant it, or we need to reinvent it, or something. That uh, that 
this is that this is just a substrate. This is just a utility. We don't we don't have people constantly saying that we need to. Oh, uh, well, you know, we have electro, we have we have telephone lines and 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 uh, um, uh, you know electrical cables going through our neighborhoods, and that we need to find a new way other than using copper wire to transmit electricity all the time. You know, that's. You're saying it, it works. Yeah, then, yeah. You know, I mean, we fine. we talk we talk about yeah. we talk about improving the grid and what we get out of that. It, I mean, just speaking about a utility, we talk about uh, the grid and improving it with a smart grid. Um, but that's that's not changing the technology fundamentally. You're not transmitting that electricity over, say, like microwaves or psionic energy or. I think what's visionary for yeah. a, a transportation system is not is not the technology per se, but yeah. it's we. A vision would be that we agree on what we want to get out of our system, mm-hmm. and we agree on the priorities that we want to implement right. to pursue it. So we agree that, uh, for example, that we want that you should be able to get from any place in a certain geographical uh, radius to any other place, mm-hmm. you know, within a certain amount of time. And we agree that uh, the priority is on you know, on the buses or, you know, the transit vehicles over single occupancy vehicle vehicles. The priority is for moving people as opposed to parking, you know, personally owned vehicles. Um, the priority is for people to be able to choose modes. So once we have agreed on the priorities and we agreed on the places that we want to do them, uh, and we have agreed on the principles, you know, that allow us to pay for it, which is, you know, the capacity and the infrastructure and the the ridership and and all these things, then we can begin to say to connect the dots when we have the opportunities, when we do have the funding, and when we when we make changes in our physical spaces, mm-hmm. when we're going to redevelop an area, and we can say, okay, we already have the vision. Right. Concretely, in this scenario, what does that mean? Right. Well, that means that we're going to upzone this area. That means that we're going to try to do transit-oriented development here instead of just redo the station and leave it as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that we're going to try to bring better connections, better con- bus connections in, um, rather than just doing the historical connections that were here. Right. Things like that. Yeah. I th- like, yeah, uh, yeah, actually, we're bridging that back to the cell phone analogy. Yeah, it's, we're, we're envisioning this, this technology that, or this, this future state that does not exist, and how do we get there? And, uh, yeah, I think that's a, uh... I, I, I'm still my my I still have issues with the word visionary. So, but, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that what's yeah. what's to be done now is uh, attend the the visioning yep. um, activity uh, this weekend, and we'll report back. Yeah, and participate, and I think there might be more of them. But yes, there will be more visioning labs, um, but this one in particular. Well, never mind any of that because uh, it happened already. But go Boston twenty thirty dot org uh, for future events. I believe that it's just it's a it's designed as a as a workshop that you that you basically just go whenever you get the chance. Um, you you're not you don't have to be there the whole day or um, or for any particular event. Just you know show up and and uh, participate in um, uh, as as I guess ignite that Leslie Nope inside of you that that's that civic that civic uh, civic pride and and um, uh, engagement. Um, so also this weekend, um, this is the first week that they're reopening the the uh, ferries mm. to the Harbor Islands, and the ferries will all be free yeah. on Saturday. The uh, there's actually a Harbor Islands. Uh, uh, I believe you can buy the tickets right out at the pavilion, right near the the Ferris, uh, not the Ferris, the merry-go-round, right yes. on the Greenway. 
So uh, definitely check that out. Um, you can actually, there's uh, one or two islands you can actually camp on if you're interested. You have to make reservations ahead of time, but if it's of interest. A lot of mosquitoes, too. Well, maybe if you go, maybe if you go <laughs> Probably soon. Not now. Yeah, if we can get away with it. Um, cool. All right. Uh, I think it's time to go. Um, you should go to our website, transitmatters.info. Um, if anybody wants to know about the MBTA panel report that is out, um, I put together a statement on there, so you can, it's right on the top uh, main page, so you can just click on that, and uh, send that to your friends, and uh, if you have other thoughts, get in touch with us on that, or anything else, um, or any of the visioning, do you have ideas, do you, what, I mean, what's your, what's your new uh, vision for the future? Um, you can write to us at feedback at transitmatters.info, or uh, nobody really seems to like that. I don't get a lot of email there, so it's a little lonely. So write to me. Um, or you can also use, uh, we're on Twitter at Transit Matters. And uh, we have a Facebook page too. We have a YouTube channel with uh, some videos up there. So uh, check that out. Mark has uh, done a lot of hard work there. And uh, what else do we have going on? Yeah, if you have any ideas for what um, what sorts of content you'd like to see, um, definitely uh, get, throw us your ideas, You know, send us tweets. Um, or even if, uh, actually we are planning, uh, in the future, some, some future, future public meetings that you can join us at, um, and we'll, we'll Who's start. the next social, Mark? Well, I'm not Mark, but, uh, the next social is July 3rd. Um, that's again going to be at, um, Lear on Boylston Street, conveniently located next to, or not next to, uh, two blocks away from the Heinz Convention Center stop on the Green Line. We will have a guest for that event uh, to be announced in the near future, so stay tuned for that. That and everything else, uh, like I said, transitmatters.info. And uh, follow us on uh, Twitter, uh, Transit Matters. Uh, that is Mark's, those are Mark's tweets, so uh, I disclaim all responsibility uh, for that, uh, as does Josh, I believe. Um, Josh is at Hatchback31, and I am at Critical Transit, if you want to follow me. So, and please get in touch with us. Uh, we love hearing from you. Uh, otherwise, it can uh, get a little lonely if we're just uh, talking on the internet and uh, we don't know if anybody's actually uh, hearing it. Um, although people are, because the data tells me. But uh, yeah, talk to me. So uh, thanks again for listening, and tune into our next podcast for more transit news and digest, because transit matters.